All right, guys. So last week we had part one of Zachary Harding's um, interview, which was absolutely amazing. I mean, I I enjoyed. It. Of course, you can tell that judging by how much I was laughing throughout the entire episode or throughout the entire part one. So this week I'm bringing you part two of his interview. Hope you guys enjoyed. Hope you guys learned a lot from it. So let's just jump right into it. So let's let's switch gears a bit because um you know that that a lot of what you mentioned are are you know fast moving consumer goods um but even whether it's a b2c or b2b space you're you're someone now as i mentioned you're the executive chairman for delta partners which means you're investing in other startups other companies so when you look to invest in a company from a marketing not not you being the marketer i'm talking about marketing leaders in those companies what exactly do you expect from them in terms of what they should be doing and how should they be executing to help first of all recoup that investment that you made in the company um by driving um revenue but also how to to actually grow the business so that you can know get a a positive roi you know on on your investment um through revenue growth what so the question is what should they be doing and and how should they be executing to make that recruitment okay good question first thing is so we invest in companies across the spectrum not just startups we're actually doing less startups now and more middle market and larger size companies right okay but doesn't really matter the question is still applicable so we invest in companies that fit the model of what i said originally which is the purpose of business is to sell more product to more people as often as possible at the highest price so you look at a company and say are they doing that already yes or no and what's the opportunity to amp that up so maybe they're selling to as many people as they can often not but not necessarily at the highest price so right. we can go in we can increase price and we can sell to more people because those were the two out of the four that they weren't really hitting or maybe they're selling to more people but people are only buying once a year and we need them to buy twice a year and maybe they're not buying it at the right price either so we look at all of those things and say can we grow this business to make more to generate more revenue right right Now, now when it comes down to the marketing manager level i would want that person to say all right our current target market consists of winstons and zachrys you know they're under 50 males in jamaica in the corporate world who are you know familiar with doing media type related stuff okay so they fit within our target market however we want to expand that to the caribbean right oh okay cool now you have my interest because now you you're trying to sell to more people right and whatever product they're selling i mean i don't know you know face cream or something for bald head people to shave their heads <laughs> right 
okay, so you want to sell to sell to them so that they can shave more often without yeah. you know damaging their skin. So there's an opportunity, and we can sell to them at a higher price because currently whatever they're doing, that they, you know they're spending a hundred dollars. The research shows us they'd be happy to spend two hundred dollars. So we're breaking it down to say that there's an opportunity to grow this market and to drive revenue. And then I'd be working closely, or if not me, somebody from the team with that marketing person to go through that entire process that I just laid out for like the last half an hour. What's the objective? Who is the target market? What research do we need to do? What questions do we need to ask and get answered? What's the consumer insight that we're going to generate out of it? What have we learned from the competition, what other people are doing? How are we going to execute? And then how are we going to measure that? And then how are we going to make that more efficient and do it again and do it better? And then how are we going to tie back now to revenue growth? So for example, <clears throat> I mentioned earlier on with the whole you know, red stripe thing, where there's a thing called a decay effect. So you sell a bunch of stuff to people today. It's not that they're going to buy the same amount tomorrow. But chances are they'll continue to buy it and maybe it will, you know, taper off a little bit. Right. One of the objectives must always be to build your brand. Ah. Because at the end of the day, marketing is about creating an emotional connection with people. So you have, have a com- I'll, I'll give you an example, a, a real live example. We invested in an owner stake of Irish Jam Radio. In New York, 20-year-old company, been around forever, you know, solid founder, solid team, primarily based in New York. They're reaching 2 million people every week out of 8 million people from West Indian descendancy, and they want to grow. Okay, cool. So why did we do the investment? They're making money, right? They're profitable. But why did we do the investment? Because there's an opportunity to expand. So they want to get a radar license in Florida. They want to get one in the UK. They want to get one in Canada. So right away, there's opportunity for growth right there. Then now you're going to go through the whole thing again. Who who is the target market? What's the programming like? Who is listening to it? Should we have more talk shows, less talk shows, more music, less music? If music, what genres of music? 80s, 90s, 2000s, nowadays music. You know, are we targeting older people, less people? Where's the revenue coming from? Is it coming from the advertisers? Is it corporates? What are the corporate people trying to do to connect with these specific target markets? There's a whole system, a whole ecosystem that now we would sit and go through, which is geared towards not just marketing, but just growing the business. And what role does marketing play in that overall growth? And part of that might just be building out the brand. So you come to Jamaica, you say, okay, we want to expand from Irish Jam into Jamaica. What are the opportunities? We find a radio station, Music 99, formerly owned by RJR Group. It was available for sale. We bought it. We renamed it, and it's now Bridge FM. So we own Bridge FM. Why Bridge FM? Because we're creating a bridge between Jamaica and New York and the rest of the world. Right. So then a part of the whole marketing strategy for the first year perhaps it's not just about getting sales it's about building the the brand establishing the brand what does the bridge fm mean to people if i go to a man on the street now and i say yo tell me about irfm he'll be able to tell me right away 
right? If I say, tell me about love, why not? You, he'll tell me right away. I need to be able to say, tell me about bridge. And for him to say, yeah, well, you know, and whatever it is that the narrative is that we want around bridge. So you must focus on building your brand for the long term while you also try and chase those sales in the short to medium term. Yeah, that's a good point. And my, my follow-up to that would be because as someone who has extensive experience in, in marketing, um, you're the type of investor, the type of CEO that gets brand immediately because you, know, you understand its value. What about the marketer who works in a company where the CEO doesn't, first of all, the CEO doesn't necessarily understand the power and the value of brand and secondly, the marketer may find it hard to justify spending money on brand because, as you say, it's not you know that immediate sale that's coming in. What what could they do to actually justify to that sale? First of all, to make the, the business case that brand is something. Yes, we're not going to see it right away, but there is um, a reason to invest in brand. And secondly, if you can. What, what business metric or outcome could you tie brand to in order to, to make that business case? So just like with the, the Wisinko case where you, you mentioned um, the different categories and you will increase um, volume of sales in these different categories that would lead to that end goal. Probably you have a way that you could do the same, how you tie it to actual brand. Okay. So first of all, there must be a match <clears throat> between who you are what you believe in and where you work. Mm. Okay. So I can't be the nutritionist for the national football team, but I eat fast food every day. Yeah. There's just a disconnect, right? Yeah. It, nobody's going to take me seriously, right? Conversely, if you are a marketer and you believe in brand and the power of brand and what, you know, how it works, and the CEO of the company is just not on that path, find a different job. Right. Because you may just very well be wasting your time. If the CEO is just like, listen, I don't care about marketing. Marketing is just a write-off expense for us. It's a total waste of time. You know, it's all about sales and just hitting the street with our salespeople. And you're like, yeah, but what are you selling? You have to create the brand awareness and you have to create affinity with the brand and it has to have alignment with people and you have to have brand recognition. And, and if it's just, oh, that's total rubbish. You know what? I need to start looking for a different job. <laughs> Simple. No, if you have to stay in a job or if you're in the job, yeah. there's plenty of data and plenty of information out there. Two quick Google searches. You could build a case to say it brand, brand building is essential. This is what Amazon did. This is what Google did. This is what Meta is trying to do. This is what KFC did. This is what Apple did. There's cases out there that you can prove to say it's important to build this brand. And then you can just even just look at local examples. You know, how have companies like a Sajiko or a NCB or a First Rock, you know, created a brand? Barita, how have they created a brand? You know, why are people choosing SSL or Delta? over other options, put together a compelling case study to explain the value of brand. Why is it that somebody will pay extra for a shirt that says Gucci on it, 
versus a shirt, the same T-shirt that says Levi's. That's brand. It's just a white T-shirt. It just have a logo on it, right? Or one man have a, have a shirt with a collar and some buttons and it have a little horse on it and it will pay double for that shirt versus the next one that have an alligator on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? That's brand. Right. right. So you have to be able to explain that to say embedded in the brand is the value. Which, which is a better car, a Toyota or a, or a BMW? Who knows? Nobody knows. I mean, it's, it's an opinionated situation. Yeah. Right? But it's about you being able to convince a person to invest in that over something else. Yeah, so you have to be able to build that case to be able to, 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 to show the value. Right? One man have one pair of socks and the pack of socks costs $100. And then buy a next pair of socks because it have a thing that look like a tick on it and it's a Nike. It's made in the same factory as the generic white socks that say Hanes. <laughs> Brand. That's what the difference is and the value is embedded in there. So you have to be able to explain that and use case studies and examples to your CEOs. And in some cases, as I said, for me, I bet my job. I said, I will prove, I need, to, I'm going to prove it to you, but they also have to have some belief in you. And if they don't have any belief in you, you either not doing your job well or the wrong CEO for you to work with or the wrong company. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point. Um, one of the things I, I always go to with brand um, is, I mean, you mentioned one or two of them in terms of, you know, if we were to increase our price, um, how would that affect our, our sales or, Let's say you have a sales team. When we, we walk into a room and we say the name of the company, how recognizable is the name of that company? You know, does it give us access to certain decision makers that without that brand we wouldn't have been able to get access to? Or you know, if okay. our sales cycle is for a particular product is six months, um, could we use the brand now to shrink it to four months or three months? So that way you have that quantifiable, um, that, that quantitative data to say, hey, before brand, it took us six months to close a deal. With brand, it's taken us four months to close this deal. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And I can give you an example of that. Again. <laughs> Please. <laughs> because, because brand is really about value. It's an emotional connection, but pricing really determines what the difference is in value. So here's the example. Mm. I got to a Cinco. And I meet with the sales team and I said, <clears throat> you guys believe in this product? This, the, the ocean spray, you know? And I say, yeah, it's a good product. It's a good drink. It tastes nice. You know, I, I enjoy drinking it. I believe in it. So I say, okay, what do you think is causing you not to be able to sell as much as you'd like? There was a unanimous response. Boy, bossy, price price to dare. Jamaican people have limited money and I don't see how a man going buy an ocean spray for $200 when he can buy a box juice for $50. Yeah. So I said, all right, cool. So if that was the case, then by that line of reasoning, the number one brand in the marketplace would always be the cheapest. Right, right. The top seller would always be the cheapest. And we know that that's not the case. So therefore, it can't just be price. So what did we do with Ocean Spray? 
I think at the time I just making it up, but like it was selling for like a hundred and fifty dollars. We raised the price to two fifty, <laughs> but we backed it with a with a new marketing campaign. Yeah. So we increased our margins, which gave us more marketing money to run the marketing campaign. But then that built in more value. Someone say, "Yo, this product really worth it." I see the advertising out there, and I see the marketing. So it's a high quality thing. This, right? So is he not in the category of juice and box juice? This is a premium beverage, right? So you build in value sometimes by even increasing your price. But I mean, you obviously have to substantiate it with a product that makes sense. So you go to a restaurant. You carry a lady out to a restaurant. You carry your work colleagues or whatever, right? You're ordering a bottle of wine. There's five bottles of wine on the wine list. One costs a thousand. One costs two. One costs three. One costs four. One costs five thousand. Which is the best, highest quality bottle of wine? Probably based on pricing, which was the five thousand one. <laughs> That's correct. But who the hell knows? Right. What determines the, the best quality of the wine? Mm. The $5,000 one might taste bad. Yeah. And the $1,000 one might taste good. And guess what happened? They're both going to get you equally as drunk if that's your objective. Yeah. Right? But there's a perception of value built into pricing. Right? So those are some of the considerations, again, because you're dealing with people. Remember, we're social scientists, so we have to tap into the psyche of people. People are of a belief that if something costs more, they're getting better quality product. Yeah. Okay, so that might be a strategy that you use to earn more money, to get you the marketing dollars, to pump back into it, to sell more product. You might just raise your prices. <laughs> you, know, you know what I love about that? <clears throat> because... My next question was going to be, um, how, how, what, what can marketers do to get that increase in budget that they're looking for? And, and as I, still, I still want you to get into that a bit if you have more knowledge. Um, well, not more knowledge, but more, more to say about that. But one of the things I love with what you just said is something that everybody can get behind, both the marketers and the CEO, you know, the C-suite level. Because by increasing the price, it helps the company make more money. But the marketing, the marketing team can say, well, let's make a deal. Let's increase our price by X. And whatever that difference is in the margin, we tie that back to our marketing budget. So our, if not everything, then at least a percentage of that margin, we can say, all right, let us make that be the increase in our marketing budget. So that, that was actually a very brilliant. <laughs> so, you know, you know the, the African guy that's like the number one TikToker that always yeah, does this? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was one of those moments. Right? No, that was that was, that was very brilliant. That that's it. That's pretty much also what I said to William of Food. I said, "Give me more budget to market this product, but let's increase the prices so that there's more margin, so that I can actually earn my own budget. But yeah. as I sell more product, give me that incremental." margin to pump back into the marketing and we do that for a year two years build a brand continue to raise prices build the equity in the brand and therefore the value to the consumer build the emotional connection 
you end up with more sales, but more important and more margin to pump into the marketing, which is then driving more sales. Look at Ocean Spray today. I worked out with Sinker in 2008 or whenever it was, 2005. Yeah, right? 16 years ago. Exactly. Oh, and Ocean Spray is the number one you know, beverage drink in Jamaica now. And then what did we do? We said, all right, cool. You know something? We have this thing over here called water and this thing over here called cranberry juice. Some people don't like the cranberry juice because they said that it's too strong. Some people don't like the water because they say it have no taste. Yeah. <laughs> Let's come up with something called cran water, right? Yeah. <laughs> we mix the cranberry juice with the water and we're serving a new subset that yeah. isn't no really a part of either of those groups. Cran water is the number one selling, you know, flavored water and probably the number one selling drink in Jamaica today. Yeah. That's brilliant. Oh, that's brilliant. How else? And you, you use that word, and I love that you use that word. You didn't say to give us more budget. You said let us earn more budget. Very important. So going back to what I wanted to ask, apart from the example that you, know, you just went through, how can marketers earn? Like, What else could they do to earn more budget? But you have to, first of all, earn the trust and respect of the rest of the business. So you have to be able to explain to a CFO what your process is. This is not, you're not guessing and spelling. There's a yeah. scientific approach, right? The, the toughest part is actually convincing them to give you money to do research, <laughs> right? <laughs> because they're like, research, that's not helping us to sell anything else. You're like, no, but we need to have a better understanding. You do the research, you have data. You build your plan based on data. You put your budget together based on the expectations. You execute, and then you deliver the results. Their team members, board members, thank you very much for having us today. As you know, our price was originally um, $100. We executed two strategies. In the first instance, what we did is we, did, we gave a discount on the product. What we found is that there was no real increase in sales or there was a marginal uptick. So we got a 10% lift in sales, but because we're given a 10% discount, we are no better off in terms of our margins. So right. after getting that 10% lift in sales and connecting with more consumers, remember the purpose of being in business, sell more product to more consumers, more often at the highest price, what we're able to do is then raise back our prices. We didn't lose those additional 10 consumers. We only lost five out of them. We had five additional consumers but we're now selling at a higher price. So therefore, we had five times more consumers buying the product at $5 more. We're able to make $25 more per unit. And therefore, we took that and we put 50% of that back into the marketing budget. So now we made you more profit, but we have more money and we're going on a second round of a more aggressive campaign. All right. So what, what I'm, what the, what I'm hearing wrap the head is... Around that. Yeah, what I'm hearing is just 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 to be clear is you 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 know you want that increase in budget. But rather than just going straight to the CFO, the CEO asking for that initial increase, you, you, you kind of create a side project and if you want to call it that, so that you can have that data collected, so you can put in a spreadsheet, so you can say, Hey, we went, we executed this, yeah. this is the result, this is how we were able to increase sales based on this increase. We need X plus two or X times two increase in our budget. 
to expand okay. on this. Right. Use numbers and use a business case to justify it. So let's say I'm head of facilities management for the company, right? And my light bill is very high. We're spending half a million dollars a month in light. All right, cool. Well, there's an option that we could go to a renewable source like solar. Solar is very expensive. It's going to cost me half a million. Sorry, it's going to cost me $5 million to put in the solar panels. I'm now spending $500,000 a month on light. Right. All right. I'm going to put in the $5 million, put in the solar panels. Obviously, I need to pay back for them. But now my electricity cost goes from $500,000 a month to zero. Okay. So in 10 months, because I've spent $5 million, I would have made back. And then every month after 10 months, I'm saving you net half a million dollars. Right. That's a business case that I'm presenting to you. Right. If you as a CEO are not buying into that, then I need to find a different company to work for. Yeah. Straight. <laughs> I know it's funny, it's funny you said that because I mean we talk about brand and yes, as marketers, we know the importance of brand. Um, I, I, I made a post, I think it was this week, where I said, listen, um, whether we like it or not as marketers, yes, marketers are creatives, you know, we, we like creative expression, that's that's our thing. Um, you know, we, we, we weren't top business, but at the end of the day. A CEO only cares or sees the value of marketing if it does one or two things. It's helping the company make money or if it's helping the company save money. Yeah. If your marketing activities can't be tied back to either one of those two, even better if you could do both, yeah. then you're not going to get the support for marketing that you really want and you really need. Absolutely. But you said something that I want to kind of almost um, phrase in a different way. You said marketers are creative people, right? Generally, I'd agree with you, but for the most part, I would say to you that marketers need to be strategic people. Yes. I don't need to really be a creative. I can hire, I can outsource yes. the creative. I can hire an ad agency. I don't need to be able to write my own copy and to be able to film and produce my own TV ad and know about graphic design and color and spacing of logo and dimensions and so on. You know, like coming up with a, a, a cool execution on premise at a bar and a, I don't know, you know, a sweepstakes camp. It. There's people that you can pay to do that. You need to be the strategist. Right. You as the marketer needs to know. I'm going to come in a little bit closer. <laughs> you as the marketer needs to know and understand your target consumer better than anybody else that's your job then you pay people to develop the creatives that can make the connections with them and if you're lucky and you're, you know you're kind of creative you can still guide them and have an input and come up with great ideas but that's not your primary role you need to know the customer better than anybody else and understand them better than anybody else yeah. Right. Think about going back to the same example from before about DJ. Right. I went to a party a couple of years ago. <clears throat> they brought in the Red Bull DJ champion for that year. Right. So I got to the party and the man is there and he comes on and he's cutting and scratching and a bunch of things and playing some hip hop and, you know, sampling out some stuff. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> Has he looked at the audience? 
Does he recognize, first of all, that most of the people here, the average age is 40? Therefore, mm -hmm. you're not going to be playing some, let, let's put it in, in nowadays things, right? You're at a party DJ. The average age there is 50. So you have people from their 30s, but you have people up to their 70s. So average age is around 50. I'm 47, right? So that's, it's not like old people. <laughs> right. You're not going to go to that party. And, and, and you look at the party and you see that, you know, it's a good mix between men and women. You assess it in terms of uptown, downtown, whatever. I'm not going to go to that party. And the first round of songs that I'm going to play is squash, skilly bang, intense. And, and, and you know, I don't know. No, I'm going to go and I'm going to look and I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to play some soccer. Yeah. Because that's going to get the ladies excited. And in yeah. fact, they're near their 50s. I'm going to draw for some vintage, older school soccer. Maybe yeah, so apparently and those type Perhaps. of people. <laughs> but right, but even being more specific, again, I said the average age is 50. Right. Byron Lee would have really been in his heyday in the 80s. Right. right. So I'm I'm almost 50, I'm 47. In the 80s, I was a teenager. Right. So Byron Lee would have really been my thing. Right, so if, right. if the average age is 50s, I'm going to play stuff that would have been very popular, let's say, in the 90s. Because in the 90s, I'd have been a young adult, mm. right? I'd have, been, I'd have been partying hard, like say around 96, 97, right? I'd have been 20, 22 years old. I'd have been on the road doing kind of whatever. I'm going to draw for that era. Yeah. Know your audience. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> awesome. And it, I just thought of something as, as we're here talking. I was having a conversation with a marketing leader yesterday. And that person was saying to me, you know, going back to what we were talking about, how, how do you like, bridge that gap between the marketing leader and the CEO? Yeah. And the person said to me that, you know what, when I used to work for that particular company, we would have the CEO who would show up and it wasn't a case where the, their issue was that marketing wasn't being tied to revenue and, and business outcomes. It was a case where they, they saw the competitor doing something and they're like, oh, the competitor is doing that. We need to do that as well. Drop everything that you're doing, do that because we need to get on that trend. How, how can marketers balance between knowing what suggestions and ideas from the CEO to take in and when to actually push back. How can they strike that balance? Four letters. <laughs> D-A-T-A. -A. Data. Figure out, suppose what the competition is doing is working and the sales are increasing and the customers like what the competition is doing and they're gravitating towards it, then you need to gather that data. And then you might need to say, yeah, you're right. That promotion is working. Or you do the research, you gather the data and you're able to say, don't watch that. They're making a bag of noise. I spoke to my friend inside and they said that sales are flat. We, did it, we commissioned our own research on the street. And the feedback is that people are saying they've seen the ads and they see the promotion and it's catchy, but it wouldn't incentivize them to purchase. Yeah. Data. Quick story again, have them for days, right? This one you can research. Coca-Cola story. 
There's a book called The End of Marketing as We Know It. A guy named Sergio Zygmunt, right? Coca-Cola, been around forever, from early 1900s or whatever. Well-recognized, staple product. Pepsi comes along, starts to innovate and do a lot of different things, including have a product that is sweeter in terms of taste. Right, they start you know, aggressively marketing, they promote, they sponsor a whole bunch of things. Coca-Cola start to catch them free. And they say, yo, Pepsi is really gaining on us. Going back to what you just said, what's the competition doing? Yeah. Wow, their product is sweeter than ours. They're going after a younger demographic. They're involved in music and entertainment. Maybe we should do the same. So Coca-Cola now, Commissions, commissions are study, right? And this is an important lesson for the marketers. So they commission a study. So they are being data-driven. Can I say, let's understand. They ask a bunch of questions. First thing that says, all right, you know, we need to re retool the product because people are liking a sweeter taste in product. Pepsi, uh, Coke is a little bit too, too dry and harsh. So they come up with a new formula for Coke, right? So they've already figured out one thing. They need to change their product. They think they figured it out. We need to change our product and make a sweeter product. They go to the market now and they test it. So they ask the market, what do you think about this product? Market says it. It's good. I like it. Tastes good. Okay. What about the pricing? Suppose you are to sell it at this price. Yeah. Pricing seems reasonable. It's fair. Okay. What about this new look? We're going to go with this new look. What do you think? Looks good. We're going to call it New Coke, what do you think about that? Yeah, sure, sounds good to me. We're going to distribute it here and do these promotions. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. So they say, okay, brilliant. They launch the product. Big launch, global launch, right? Seven days goes by, sales are flat to declining. Yeah. They're like, we don't understand. We did the research. We listened to the consumer. We asked them the questions. We're at a loss. Like, what the hell? What did we get wrong? You know what they got wrong? They forgot to ask the customer one question. And that one question was, would you buy it? Yeah. So when they went back now and they said, listen, we did everything that you said. We made the product sweeter. It's available here. It's cooler. It's What's the issue? Why aren't you buying it? And I said, well, first of all, you didn't ask us that. And then now to answer that question is, we're not buying it because we have an emotional connection with the original Coca-Cola. Mm. So this new thing that you've introduced is foreign to us. Yeah. And in fact, it feels like an invasion of our relationship with Coke. So very quickly, they canned that product, went back to the original formula, and that is how you have Coke Classic. <laughs> It's the original uh, I didn't Coke. know that. That's good. Yeah. It's the original Coke. So they had to quickly go back and relaunch the same product and just rebuild the emotional connection with the people because they're like, we feel like you've betrayed us. I, we, we grew up on Coke. Yeah, we don't care that it tastes bitter. This is, this is a product that was there for us in Little League Baseball. This is a product that I drank when I was in college to help keep me up at night. This is a product that sponsored my school team when we went to the finals. 
They had an yeah. emotional connection with it. They weren't interested in a sweeter version. Know your consumer. So staying on that point, because it reminds me of another conversation I had, because you say the best way to, to strike that balance is with data, right? So there's another marketing leader who that person said that their competitor, you know, in terms of the social media engagement, they were getting a lot of engagement. Um, oh, oh, let me try to remember the, 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 the exact story because I, I, I want you to touch on this. So it was a case where, yeah, they were, they were making a lot of noise in the market. You know, they were doing a lot of things, um, you know, getting a lot of awareness. That's the right term to use. They were getting a lot of awareness, yeah. but even though they were getting that and it seemed like, you know, this company was actually overtaking market share, when you look at the numbers in terms of that, that brand sentiment, like who had the, the highest brand sentiment? Was it, you know, this brand here or the competitor? The original brand had a higher brand sentiment, even though the competitor was making a lot more nights. Um, the original brand had a lot more sales than the competitor, even though the competitor was making a lot of nights. So the CEO, CEO now comes to the marketing leader and says, um, you know, our competitors are making a lot of noise and they're overtaking us. We need to do something as well. Now that marketing leader said, well, no, we don't because the data is showing us that we're outpacing them in every way possible. They're just making a lot more noise in the market. But the CEO is still pushing back to say, well, you know, we need to do something because, you know, they're, they're outpacing us. They're getting a lot of engagement. But yes, but in terms of brand affinity, people still prefer our brand. Um, we're still getting more sales and competitor. How would you address that particular situation in terms of what advice you would give where the data is there, but there's still pushback? Right. So I can understand from the CEO's perspective that they may have a concern to say, yeah, I'm hearing you about the affinity is still there and people still like your product. You are saying that is just noise, but I'm concerned because that noise may convert eventually into customers. And then at that point in time, it might just be too late because you sat down and did nothing for two years. Yeah. Saying that it was just noise, it took time for them to build a brand and then people migrated over to them. So the CEO can have a valid concern, right? right. Both of them must be able to look at all sides of the coin. Right? So the marketer must be able to look and say, you know what? They're making a lot of noise now. The awareness is high. Awareness doesn't equal affinity. Right. So I can be aware of the Reebok campaign. I'm just an Adidas guy. You haven't touched my heart and my soul yet for me to think that I'm going to really beat a, beat a Reebok. Right? Because I'm just an Adidas, I just grew up on Adidas. That's, that's what I like, just using it as an example. But it doesn't mean that the marketer must take the eye off of what Reebok is doing. Then now you get into all of the stuff I spoke about before. Who is the competitor targeting? Mm -hmm. right? let's, take it, let's take it to a political level. Right? Politics for me is a good measure to of marketing. Right? So elections are coming up. One party is making a bag of noise. Right? Bear flags, bear colors, bear ads, bear dub plates, bear whatever the case is going on. Right? Okay, so I'm going to break down again my consumers who are the voters. Pretty much anybody 60 years and older, they're going to vote for the same party that they voted for. 
yeah. majority of them, they're in that category, just like the red stripe drinker of staunch. Yeah. They're just a rock stone label, right? It don't matter. Bustamante is their thing, and them just love Siaga, and Andre is a protege of Siaga, and they just labor right themselves. Next man, yo, man, it was the greatest thing ever, and if it wasn't for him, X, Y, and Z, and power to the people, and them just voted power, no matter what happened. Forget about those people. Meaning, you have to make sure that they're energized and the base is energized for elections, but you're not going to change their vote. Right. right. You have one set of people voting green, one set of people voting orange. Forget about the people voting orange for now that are staunch. For the most part, don't forget about the people voting green, but just make sure that they're still comfortable. Who are you going after the people in the middle? Right. Only thing that I'm concerned about is what are the people in the middle concerned about? If I go and I ask them, I'm using like a kind of a live example now, right? Let's just make it up on the spot. And this has been done before. You can research it. And they say, okay, that party is making a big hullabaloo about corruption. They're saying that this government is the most corrupt government in the history of the Caribbean or whatever the statement is that they came up with, right? So, okay, you know, there's been some issues. A couple of government ministers had to resign and there's been one or two. There's no doubt about it. There's been one or two things that have happened. Okay. Right. However, I'm going to go to the people and ask them. And I'm going to ask them a series of things. But I'm going to ask them, are you aware of instances of corruption within this government, political, in terms of the party? Yes or no? If yes, what instances can you recall? Then list them out. And eventually I'm going to drill down to the question, which is, Will these instances of corruption that you are aware of change or influence who you're going to vote for? And if the majority of them say, no, it's not going to make any difference, then I'm going to let them go over there and make all the noise they want. <laughs> and I'm going to ask those people who might be swing voters, right? So they're, they're on the fair. I'm not going after the, the, the staunches because they're not, they're, they don't matter. They're just going to vote how they're going to vote. So those people in the middle, I'm going to say to them, What's important to you? Yeah. What would make a difference in terms of who you cast your vote for? I'm just making it up. Let's say I say, you know what? I need to feel confident that I'm voting for a party that is going to increase the likelihood of me getting a job. I have my campaign theme right there. I'm just going to focus on job creation. Yeah. I'm not going to focus on debt to GDP. I'm not going to focus on corruption. I'm not going to focus on reducing the size of government and cabinet. I'm not going to focus on, you know, foreign direct investment. I'm not going to focus on the exchange rate. Those things might be, you know, important, but they might be tangential to job creation if right. it is that that's what people want to see and hear. And we can just apply that same sort of formula to any situation. Don't get too excited about the hype right think through what does the consumer really want yeah that was that was great that was a that was a great response that was a very good response yeah um so so my next question is and, and don't worry i have about two more <laughs> no um in terms of because not not every marketing leader has access to 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 that boardroom 
Um, some leaders do, some leaders don't. They just have to rely on whatever the CEO directives are, the CFO um, comes back to them with. In as much detail as you can share, you know, without obviously sharing any confidential information, what are some of the conf- um, conversations that happens within the boardroom? Just to kind of give marketers who don't have that, that access, that exposure, um, to kind of wrap their heads around so they understand not to look at things from a very narrow marketing point of view, but how to take everything into, into context, you know, not just marketing, but, you know, the CEO is responsible, the boardroom, um, the CFO, you know, everything into one so that they can be better or more strategic right. in how they execute marketing to show their value. Right. Comes back to the same thing. Know your consumer. In this case, the consumer or customer is the CEO, the CFO, the head of sales, the board members. Because you are also trying to sell yourself yes, and market yourself as the best choice for the company to be in this role, to earn this salary, right? So now I'm not just thinking through like, oh, well, what does a man on the street think about my brand? No, I'm thinking about what does the board want? What are the, what are the shareholders looking for? Who are the shareholders? Mm. Right? What does the board consider to be doing a good job or not? I'm making this up again. I just talked freely, right? Maybe the board says the best marketing manager that we could have is somebody that's going to spend as little money as possible and get some decent results. Right. If that's the case, then you might want to position yourself instead of going to them and saying, I need $100 million to grow the company, you're going to say, listen, $100 million would be nice. That's what the competitor is spending. I think I can do this for 50 million. And with some effort, I think I might even be able to get it down to 40. But here's how I'm going to still maintain our sales and margins and therefore get more efficiency and make us more profitable. <laughs> Board member is like, what? A marketing <laughs> person talking about being more profitable? Winston is a man for the job. Yeah. We need this guy all day long because he's thinking about profitability. Right. I can, de- I can deliver that to my shareholders. I can't deliver brand affinity to my shareholders. I can't go to them, great news, guys. We lost money this year. <laughs> but our brand affinity, through the roof. <laughs> that, now uh, that will never happen. You will never live to see that happen. As yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm glad you were able to strike that balance because you spoke a lot about brand, brand affinity. So it's very easy for marketers to get caught up and say, well, you know, Zachary is, uh, has, you know, several years, maybe decades, I'm, I'm not going to talk to age. I'm <laughs> um, experiencing marketing, you know, he's been a CEO, he's, you know, executive chairman of a private equity firm. And if he's saying that brand, then, you know, it makes a lot of sense that, yes, we should go with brand. But you stroke that balance, um, so that marketers understand that, yes, brand is one aspect, but in terms of getting that buying, then you need to think about not what your customers view as value, but what the shareholders, the, the CEOs, whoever views as value. And I, I find that that's, there's a disconnect there. I'm not sure why. I mean, I can't speak as to why, mm-hmm. where you have marketers who 
they just want to execute and that, that relationship, whether with the CFO or the CEO, isn't really there. So I guess there's probably even a question there. Like, how can marketers foster that relationship with their CEO, CFO, where they can sit with them, they can work with them, they can collaborate to say, all right, um, what do you consider marketers' role within the company? Are you considering this? All right, this is how we need to execute. How can they start that, that, that relationship? All right, so I'll give you another four-letter word. <laughs> Right, in terms of an answer to that, and it is E A R S. Ears. Ears, listen. Yeah, just listen. Talk to the CEO and try to understand what's important to them. Talk to the CFO and understand what's important. Get a chance and meet with some of the board members. Hear what they're saying. Find out who the shareholders are. If it's a public traded company, go to the AGM. Yeah. Listen to what the shareholders are saying. If it's a private company, try and set up an appointment to go and talk to one of the majority shareholders. Find out what's important to them. But listen, listen to the people around you. Right. And at the same time, to think through strategically. Why am I here? What is the purpose? What kind of company is this? Is this the right fit for me? I'll give you an example right now, Delta Capital Partners. I have a head of marketing, amazing lady, used to be with one of the top telecom companies, right? Delta Capital is not marketing to consumers. I don't mean this in a bad way, but Delta Capital is not marketing to Winston. Winston isn't a customer of Delta Capital. Right. We look for companies that we want to invest in and we raise capital and we buy into those companies and we give our investors a return. So the number of people that I'm talking to is not tens of thousands of people. I'm not selling drinks to people. Yeah. Right. So I'm trying to raise money. I might be talking to 10 banks and 50 high net worth individuals and five institutional investment houses. So I don't necessarily need to be doing TV campaigns and radio campaigns and have an Instagram account with me, you know, posing with my, my Rolex and I'm making fun of some of my friends, right? Posing <laughs> with my, my Rolex on the steering wheel of my new Porsche. Who is that impressive? Yeah. Right? I need to be able to say, okay, who I need to talk to is this bank in Trinidad. Because they're looking for investment opportunities in Jamaica. Okay, cool. That's who my target is. What do I need to do to impress them? Okay, they're looking for a stable entity with the right team and the right board. All right, cool. Well, who's on my board now? Me and Winston. It's not good enough. They're going to want to know that I have a top accountant person, a lawyer, um, somebody that you know has, has been a director of a senior company before in this space. Maybe they may even want to see like an overseas person that has worked at a Morgan Stanley or Bear Stearns or someone else. All right, let me compose my board. That might be my marketing effort for the year. Yeah. Just making a stellar board selection. So when I call the bank in Trinidad and I say, listen, I'm sending you a prospectus. We're looking to raise 50 million US dollars into our company. They say, all right, cool. No problem. Send it to me. And I just go right away to the board page and they're like, what? This person's on the board? They went to Princeton, then they went to UPenn, they have an MBA, they worked at Bank of America, 
They're now running a family office company that manages 50 million US dollars or, you know, 50 billion US dollars. Oh, wow. If they could have attracted this person to be on the board, they must be doing something right. Yeah. That might be my marketing strategy for the year. And I didn't have to spend any money. Right? Conversely, or in addition to that, I might now be trying to reach out to some high net worth people in Jamaica to convince them of what we're doing to get them to invest a million here or two million there or 500,000 there. So I said, okay, you know what? I need to ensure that they see deal flow because they want, I want to see them to see continuously. We're active in the space. I don't need to develop an ad, an ad campaign for that. I'll probably do some interviews, maybe reach out to Ralston, let him know what we're doing, you know, catch some Monday morning interviews where that high net worth person might be tuning in to kind of hear what's happening in the markets. And I explain what's going on with Delta. Didn't cost me anything. Maybe in a relationship, I need to have a good relationship, right? So it's thinking through who am I really trying to connect with? What's the emotional connection I'm trying to build? And what is it that I'm trying to gain from them? Right? The number one reason and we can wrap up with this. I mean, I'm happy to answer as many questions as you have, right? That I talk about this all you know, year long. The number one reason why anybody purchases a brand is trust. The number five reason why most people purchase a brand is price. Mm. Right? In between that, you have customer service, you have loyalty, you have product fit, you have a bunch of other things. But I use that to say, at all times, what we're trying to build is confidence in us as well as in the products that we have or just in what we're selling. If I'm a marketing manager, I want my board to believe in me. And how do I get them to believe in me? By listening understanding what their needs i work for them they're paying me i can't go yeah. off on a frolic and just say yo you know what we need to pay <laughs> the, the, you know the highway from mobe to negril that the government building all in blue because that's our color and we're going to have a tremendous brand awareness like, what are you talking about we're losing money i want you to get us the break even tell me how you're going to do that come back with a plan and a strategy that's going to say how are we going to get the break even that's the marketing person that I want on my team because they're listening and they're thinking strategically. They're not just trying to spend money for the sake of it. Yeah. And I have one fine. I mean, you, you touched on it just now, but I still want to ask you just in case there is something else you want to add to that. Um, in terms of, how can I put it? What, what characteristic or trait do you believe um, marketing leaders are lacking based on you know throughout the years that you've been interacting with with marketing leaders what's the one trait that they're lacking that would really allow them to stand out and get a seat at the the, the strategic table with you know i guess you can call the big boys and the big girls um to really influence the direction of the company easy answer emotional intelligence mm. that's one of the things that they're lacking Lacking. Interesting. Right? So by emotional intelligence, I'm talking about, again, understanding people, right? Knowing how to present yourself, 
understanding what are the emotions that are driving people's decision-making process, being able to interact at a certain level, positioning yourself and your brand as an expert in your field, being patient, being able to, be, to listen, being able to take feedback, being open to, to change and to improve, being open to grow and learn, not acting like a know-it-all all the time, those are all attributes of people that are emotionally intelligent, right? All of the book stuff, you can Google it. There's no marketing theory that you can't just do a Google search <laughs> and find it and read it, right? Anybody can do that, Yeah. right? You must be able to show empathy. You must be able to say, I have an edge because I understand people better than others, including you who I work for. I know what your needs are and what you're looking for. You are paying me to carry out a specific task and I'm going to deliver that task to you. But I'm going to also bring my authentic self to the equation because obviously I need to, I need to be additive. I need to create and bring value to what we're doing. So I have my own ideas and I'm going to present them in a respectful way and I'm going to try to convince you of why we should do these things in a particular way. And I'm going to try to prove myself I also have to show a little bit of tenacity. I can't be a pushover. Can't just be like, you're like, no, Zach, that don't make sense. We're not spending any money. Your budget is $2. And I'm just like, oh, okay, Winston, no problem. No. I'll just run some, run some radar ads for $2. No problem. The radar ads don't work. I'm like, Winston, what are you doing? Yeah. Zach, why do you wasting my time? You have to come with something and be like, no, that's not going to work. Here's what I think will work, but here's, here's why I think it will work. Mm. You understand? So you have to have that sort of emotional intelligence where to think through things, know who it is that you're interacting with and be able to connect with them on an emotional level. Why? Because not only is the product that you're selling a brand and not only is the company that you work for and represent a brand, you are also a brand. And with that, ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> Wow, Zachary, amazing, amazing. With that, we can definitely end on that note. So if people need to reach you, where can they find you? Um, Instagram is the fastest way, um, Zach Harding 27. Um, I'm on Facebook also. Um, you can reach out to me. <laughs> Reluctant about giving my, my cell phone number because oftentimes I get bombarded. Come on, not, not <laughs> they don't need to get your cell phone. Yeah. Instagram is an easy way to message me and then I'll, I'll, you know, we can take it from there. All right. Awesome. Zachary, man, let me see. Yeah, we, we've been here for two hours, but it was two hours very, very much well spent. As I said, I think this is definitely going to need to be a two-part um, episode, so I'll have to break it up. But appreciate you taking time to be here. You know, appreciate the nuggets that you dropped. Um, mm -hmm. This was well worth the wait. My pleasure, man. Thanks a lot for, for just, you know, allowing me to be able to share and just talk openly and freely. All right. Awesome, ladies and gentlemen. So this is another episode of the Revenue Alignment Podcast, and that is a wrap. This has been the Revenue Alignment Podcast. Join us next week where we have more amazing content to help you demonstrate, communicate, and improve your value at the C-suite level. I'm Winston, your host, and this is a wrap.